0: Well, if you would, keep Psalm 23 in front of you, whether in your bulletin or in your own Bible, and uh, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll begin. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to sit under your word. Um, we ask that your spirit would come, open our hearts open the eyes of our hearts, open the ears of our hearts to see and to understand and to hear what you would have to say to us. Would you, um, we know that Paul said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and so I ask that as we hear the Word of God preached that you would create faith in us. In other words, make us trust what we hear about you. Make us see Jesus and hold on to him by faith. Uh, This is what we all need, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, this is the first day of July. Welcome to July 2018. Um, So, since it's July, you may be wondering, why on earth did we just read about the birth of Jesus from Matthew Chapter 1 and chapter 2. Is, is the pastor confused now and he thinks it's Christmas time? On top of that, we sang a Christmas hymn right off the bat. Did you notice that? Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became as poor. Thrones for a manger did surrender. Sapphire paved courts for a stable floor. That's a Christmas hymn. What are we doing here? It's Christmas in July. Yes, Betsy's excited. Uh, and we're not talking about sales at wherever. Um, it's Christmas in July. So obviously, there's some design behind this. We meant to do this. So, what does the incarnation, what does Christmas have to do with Psalm 23? Well, the first, maybe obvious uh, connection uh, comes from Matthew chapter 2, where at the end of Amber's reading, um, we hear uh, King Herod had asked the chief priests where the Messiah was predicted to be born, and, and they said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, Jesus is the king that God promised would one day come from the line of King David, who wrote Psalm 23, to shepherd God's people. And Jesus confirmed that he was the shepherd in John 10 when he said, very familiar words to all of us, I'm sure, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, he says later. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock, one shepherd. So Christmas is the fulfillment of God's promise to send the good shepherd who would lay down his life for his wayward sheep. We sing about that in Isaiah 53 as well. But maybe, perhaps... The less obvious connection between Christmas and Psalm 23 is is found in Matthew chapter 1 when Gabriel said this to Joseph. He said, Mary will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And Matthew quotes Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us, God in the flesh. And so that's what Christmas is all about, is the incarnation of Jesus. But still, what is the incarnation? What is Jesus coming in the flesh? What is God with us have to do with Psalm 23. Stay with me. I'm getting there. Um, Dr. Robert Godfrey said this. Um, he said, one important form of Hebrew poetry is that a poem, in a Hebrew poem, often has the critical verse or message in the middle of the poem rather than at the end. And he goes on to say, the first four verses of Psalm 23 carried the shepherd theme but verses five and six present god as a host at a victory feast we'll talk more about that and then he says what unifies psalm 23 are the words at the very center of the psalm verse four for you are with me For you're with me so sometimes in in the psalms and there are many of them um They are structured so that whatever's in the very heart of the structure of the psalm is actually the main point of the psalm. I didn't know this about Psalm 23, and and I was so excited when I saw that, Um, that the whole psalm is about God with us. The whole psalm is about Emmanuel, God with us. The whole psalm is about Jesus, and we always kind of knew that because of the good shepherd, but but it's about Jesus because he is God with us in the flesh. So Psalm 23 teaches, that, teaches us that the Lord is a shepherd who leads his sheep on a journey home. And when they get there, they're no longer sheep, but they are guests at a feast in which the Lord becomes their host. But then all along the journey, from the beginning through the valley and until the final destination and then beyond forever, The Lord is with his people. Do you need to know that the Lord is with you this morning? Think about it. What could be more important than knowing that he is with you? What about the man who wrote this song? David experienced lack. He experienced hunger. He experienced not having a home or shelter as he was on the run from his enemies. He experienced thirst in dry riverbeds. Um, He experienced fear. He was pursued by enemies and friends. Uh, He had spears thrown at him by his own king, Saul. Um, He was always uh, in fear of dying. David knew valleys of deep darkness. He lost a child when that child was an infant. He lost his grown son, Absalom, first to rebellion and then to war. And then David knew what it meant to suffer the guilt and shame of his own sin, murder, of adultery. And he begged God not to take away his presence. He begged God not to take away the presence of his Holy Spirit. So when David writes about the Lord being with him in this psalm, he knows what he's asking. He knows knows what he's talking about. And and yet he sounds so confident. In fact, this psalm is, is in the category of psalms of confidence. He doesn't sound like he struggles with God's presence like I do. He's so confident. All that David went through, and yet he found hope in this truth, for you are with me. The great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said this about this phrase, for you are with me. He said, this is the joy of the Christian. You are with me. He says, the little child out at sea in the storm is not frightened like all the other passengers on board the vessel. It is asleep in its mother's bosom. It is enough for that baby that its mother is with it. And it should be enough for the believer to know that Christ is with him. And so the believer says, you are with me. I have in having you all that I can crave. I have perfect comfort and absolute security, for you are with me. And I recognize, in saying this, and in preaching the psalm, that the psalm may not—you may not be as confident as this psalm sounds. And my hope and my prayer has been that as we look at Psalm 23 together, that that the Holy Spirit and pray right now. Ask the Holy Spirit to use Psalm 23 to stir faith, to stir that confidence in Jesus as your shepherd and your host. Um, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So ask the Holy Spirit to create faith in Jesus in you, to create trust in Jesus as the one who is with you in whatever valley you're going through right now. So, Let's look at the psalm overall real quick, and then we'll uh, look at some details. So since Jesus is God with us, and this is in your program if you want to, in your bulletin if you want to take notes, since Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and since he is with us as our shepherd and our host, we have, first of all, provision, verses 1 through 3, we have provision from our shepherd and so we we can say I shall not want I shall not lack anything we have contentment in Christ and since Jesus is God with us we also have protection in verse 4 and therefore we say I will fear no evil we can have courage in Christ and since Jesus is God with us we also have the promise of that presence forever Verses 5 and 6, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And, and so we have companionship with Christ forevermore because he's with us. So let's look at those. First, let's look at the provision of God's presence. Um, as I just said, sh- I shall not want. That's kind of confusing. Um, I shall not want doesn't mean I'm not going to want anything. It means I won't lack anything that I need. Uh, I shall not want is is an old-fashioned way of saying I shall not lack. So when Jesus is with me, when I have the presence of Jesus, then I shall lack nothing that I need. I'm being well cared for by my shepherd, therefore I'm content. Uh, David said this in Psalm 34. He says, the young lions suffer want and hunger But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who have the Lord as their shepherd will lack no good thing from him. When I was a kid, um, I happened to be a child who pestered my parents for things. My father came up with a little sing-songy answer to my pestering requests. And he started doing this. He's, I would at, bug him about the latest Atari video game or something, and he'd say, he'd go, I want, I want, I want. I need, I need. I got to have. Give me, give me, give me. Sounds horrible. He's a great father, by the way. But that's, there's so much wisdom in that. Listen to that. He's, it, listen to the, this is the progression of entitlement. First we say, I want, I want, I want. Then we think it, I need, I need. Then it's, I got to have, and then we say, gimme, gimme, gimme. He had no idea he was doing that, but it's brilliant. I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I got to have, gimme, gimme, gimme. We go from thinking, we, from wanting something to thinking we need it to demanding that we get it. And that, that's how we are. So I, I bring that up because when we say that um, God provides and the things that we're going to talk about He provides, there's a difference between uh, what the promise is, is that we will not lack what we need. Not that we will not lack what we want. Um, Larry Crabb has, has a way of explaining the difference between uh, some of the wants or the longings that we have. He Puts them in three categories. The first one is casual longings. The second one is critical longings. And the third one is crucial longings. Casual longings are things that we want that are the creature comforts. We want a full belly. We want to satisfy our thirst. We want um, health. We want a nice place to live. We want comfort. Things that they're mostly physical, creature comforts. Those are casual longings. And they're fine. We should long for those things. We're human. But then there's a a second level that ups the ante a little bit. It's critical longings. And these are longings for relationship. Um, He says most of us are in touch with those longings because uh, we feel so much tension in especially our primary relationships that uh, when we feel angry or betrayed by people, that triggers our longing for this critical need for relationship and wholeness in relationship. Um, But then he says, when our primary relationships appear to be warm and healthy, the world could be a rather pleasant place to live. We sing of God's goodness with warmth and sincerity. We laugh easily at jokes. We look forward to an evening with old friends. We really feel quite good, he says. Um, And even if our... Casual creature comfort longings aren't met. We may feel intense discomfort, but at a deeper level, we say, we sense things are okay if our relationships are okay. Um, so there's casual longings, there's crucial. Longings. The third one is crucial. Uh, there's casual, there's critical, and the third one is crucial. And these are things that only God can satisfy. Uh, those other longings could be satisfied by God's gifts or his blessings, but these crucial longings can only be satisfied by God himself. And this is what Crabb says about that. A few Christians know what it means to taste the reality of God's presence when life is crumbling around them. Physical comforts may be few and friends may be insensitive and distant, but Christ somehow moves with sweetness and strength into the depths of their souls. These crucial longings are, are things that only God can meet, and that if they are met, it doesn't matter whether the casual and critical ones are met. Um, your soul can survive. Remember uh, Romans eight, and remember, I guess it was the first sermon I preached here, um, where I, I was showing from Romans eight that if God loves me enough to solve my biggest my biggest problem, which is his rejection, by meeting my greatest need, which is I need to be reconciled to God, then I can be confident of his love for me now, even as I face other problems and needs. So those crucial longings are that I need to be in right relationship with God. I need to not be under his wrath, but in relationship with him. Um, I can have those things and know his love even if I don't have creature comforts, even if I don't have relational wholeness. I can still know uh, that God is with me. But what happens is we often mistake um, satisfying creature comforts and satisfying relationships as real satisfaction, as we, we think that when we're fulfilled in those ways, then everything with God is good. Everything's okay. Um, we fill up on the gifts and are not satisfied with the giver. All right, thank you for your patience as I, I walk through that. I think it's important because what I think the psalm is promising is not necessarily that all your creature comforts will be satisfied and that all your personal relationships will be satisfying. This is, this is a shepherd who meets your greatest need. And so quickly, um, first, your shepherd in verse 2 provides resources for your soul. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside still waters. My soul can... Be satisfied in Jesus now because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. My soul can be supplied in Jesus now. Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have been supplied with every spiritual blessing. It's there, and my soul can be strengthened in Jesus now first P- uh, Peter says in second Peter chapter one, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus who has called us into his own glory and excellence God's power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness so We can be satisfied in Jesus now. We're supplied in Jesus now. We're strengthened in Jesus now. He gives us the resources we need, no matter what else is going on. But verse 2 also says that our shepherd provides rest for our souls right now because he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. Um, Think about that image uh, a sheep lying down when it's surrounded by green pastures. That's like me sitting in a recliner when I'm surrounded by all my favorite foods and I'm starving. I'm not going to sit and I'm going to be up helping myself, filling my plate. Um, sheep who are not content and satisfied, they're going to be up and, and eating foraging, looking for something to eat. But sheep who are satisfied and content can lay down in the midst of a a, a field of feasting. They can lie down in green pastures. They're not up clamoring for food and water and whatever will give them life. If you have Jesus as your shepherd, you don't have to clamor and scramble to make your life work. You can rest. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy-laden, all of you who are clamoring to make your life satisfying in work, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Do you need rest for your soul in this crazy clamor and go after whatever makes me satisfied the world we live in? So your shepherd provides resources for your soul, rest for your soul, but he also provides restoration. Verse 3, he restores my soul. um, In Matthew 9, Matthew described Jesus uh, this way. He said, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I was once studying that passage and I was, thinking, what is harassed and helpless? What does that mean? Or harassed, the word for harassed means uh, that the skin has been flayed off and so that the inner workings of the sheep or the person's body is exposed. That's harassed. Helpless meant that uh, a, a sheep has been cast off, has, been, has, has fallen down and it can't get up, you know, remember those commercials? Um, and that happens to sheep. They get off balance. They fall. Things start to happen to inside their bodies to where they're now, instead of being top heavy, they're top light, and they can't get back up unless the shepherd comes and restores them to the upright position. And they often die that way. This is why David uses this kind of imagery in other places, and he says... Why are you cast down, O my soul? This happened to sheep a lot. They were harassed and helpless. You can know this, that Jesus has compassion for you when you're in those conditions. Do you feel harassed? Do you feel helpless? Jesus was described by Luke as the one who came to seek and save the lost. He wants to restore you if you've been cast down. And finally, your shepherd provides right paths. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This paths of righteousness is intentionally ambiguous because if we're talking about sheep, then the paths of righteousness are the right path that leads to provision and protection. Um, It leads to life. But if we're talking about us as God's sheep, it's paths of righteousness. It's the way we are made to live. Righteousness means living in line with God's law. God's law is to love God with all we are and to love others as Christ has loved us. So this shepherd has promised that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what deep, dark valley you're walking through, He will lead you to love Him and to love others. It is possible, no matter what kind of shape you're in, physically or circumstantially, to continue to love God and love others. He will lead you in paths of righteousness. And He does it for His namesake, what does that mean? Well, actually... It's good news because if God is doing all, if Jesus is leading you into loving God and loving others for his namesake, then it's guaranteed he's going to do it because his name is at at stake here. His reputation is at stake. His glory is at stake. But it also means that that there's purpose. Uh, He's doing all this for his namesake. Your life is part of a bigger story your small story is connected to his larger story. Your life has meaning. He's leading you into his purpose for your life. When David was hiding in a cave from King Saul, who was out to kill him, um, he wrote Psalm 57 as a prayer about that time. And he cried out to God in Psalm 57 too, He said, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Because it's for His name's sake, God will lead you in paths of righteousness. He will train you by His word to be one who loves Him and loves others no matter what else is going on. So that's the... Prov- Look at all that God is providing for us as our shepherd. And He also gives us protection. The protection of God's presence in verse 4. Um, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, which the valley of the shadow of death literally means the valley of deep darkness. The darkest of which is death itself. But there, there are many shadows of death. There are losses that feel like death. Um, some of the loss of your creature comfort. Comforts may feel like death to you. Loss of a job, loss of a home, loss of health. That's deep darkness. Losses in your critical longings area, your primary relationships. Um, Losses of relationship feel like death. So God has promised to be with you so that you can say, I will fear no evil. And sure, there are people who can walk with you through all of these kinds of deaths, but when it comes to death itself, there's only one who can walk with you through that. And he is the one who has been there himself, who died the death that we actually deserve. And then... Rose to life by kicking open the the gates of hell from the inside out. And he is alive. The author of Hebrews says that this God, this shepherd, is the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. So the one who walks with you through whatever level of death, whatever shadow of death you're experiencing, is the one who himself has conquered and driven away every shadow of death there is. And until you face that final enemy, there will be other enemies along the way. The Bible says that uh, our enemies are the world and the way it thinks, not necessarily the people of the world, but the world's thinking, the world's way of, of, of thinking and believing. And there's the devil himself, and then there's the enemy within our flesh, and so until we face the final enemy, death, we're going to be facing these other enemies of the world, the devil and our flesh. But this shepherd has a rod and a staff. The rod was a, a, a club that the shepherd would use to beat away attacking animals. Um, it was, and so the rod is a, a protection that Jesus gives of the enemies that are outside of me. Um, the world and the devil. Jesus has promised that because he's with you, he will fight off those enemies. The staff, though, was you know what we typically see in the Christmas pageants, is the shepherd's crook. It's a staff has kind of a hook on the end. Well, the shepherd would use those uh, not necessarily to fight off enemies, but to grab shang- uh, straying sheep. Sometimes the sheep is its own enemy. And the shepherd is going to protect us from ourselves. And so the the staff, the shepherd's crook, is a protection from the enemy within me. It's My own flesh, my own me first heart. Jesus promises that because he is with you, he will protect you from the enemies without you and the enemy within you. Do you trust him to do that? Martin Luther said, God is a thousand times more willing and ready to do everything that is to be done for his sheep than is any faithful human shepherd. The voice of Jesus, the shepherd, with which he speaks to his sheep and calls them is the holy gospel, Luther said. The pasture with which Christ feeds his sheep is also the dear gospel, he said. Jesus loves you. Um. Someone said that Psalm 23 is the Romans 8 of the Old Testament. So where we've been so far, verses 1 through 4, the end will be shorter. Verses 1 through 4, I I, I see those promises of of God as Jesus as my shepherd uh, reflected in these words from Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, if God is our shepherd, The Lord Jesus is your shepherd. And as one of my favorite preachers, H.B. Charles Jr., once said, the Lord is my shepherd, so I ain't going to worry about it. But now the scene changes. Now we're no longer outside, but we're inside. We're no longer sheep in a flock, but now we're a guest at a banquet. Verses 5 and 6. God, the shepherd, becomes God the host. And so we have the promise of God's presence. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Uh, the anointing with oil for a guest was, you know, let's say family's coming over to your house for Thanksgiving, and they've had to travel a long way. When they get there, you say, hey, before we sit down and eat, won't y'all go in the bathroom and freshen up? That was what the oil was for. It, it had sent to it. it 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 freshened up weary travelers and guests and then our cup overflows listen at the end of our journey we will not only be refreshed um, we will be um, refreshed not only refreshed by the joy of the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all of uh, those at the banquet we'll be refreshed by the cup that overflows. We will get the cup that overflows with the blessing of God because Jesus drank the cup of the wrath of God. What do I mean by this promise of God's presence? Well, the name the Lord is whenever you see Lord in capitals, Uh, In the Old Testament, behind that word is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's God's covenant name. Um, It's his name for his relationship with Israel, and it frames this psalm at the beginning and at the end. And so we have not only the name of the covenant-keeping God, the promise-keeping God, then we have the characteristics of this promise-keeping God, this covenant God, goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy; these are words that are used throughout the Old Testament to describe God's covenant-keeping character, His commitment to His people. In fact, mercy—this word—is that famous word "hesed," which is steadfast love, is another way to translate it. This is the love of a God who who is committed to bless His people with His goodness, and it's—they're not going to follow you. Like, where is He going? The word is actually not follow, it's pursue. If you have Jesus, then you will be pursued by his goodness and his steadfast love. You ain't getting away from it. Your enemies may be there. He's going to set a table in the presence of your enemies. They may be there, but he's going to be closer. Your enemies may be pursuing you hot on your heels, but his pursuit, his goodness and mercy is always closer than the pursuit of your enemies. These are his promises to his people. His goodness and his mercy will pursue you through all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, not as a sheep, but as a son and a daughter. And at that point, we're all going to say what H.B. Charles Jr. said. We're all going to be up there enjoying this banquet, this feast with our father. And we're going to all say, God's been so good to me, I ain't never moving out. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But friends, notice that David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that? Can you say that the Lord is my shepherd? You can't be one of his sheep until you have trusted him to be the lamb who has taken away your sin. You cannot be one of his sheep until you have trusted Jesus As the Lamb who has taken away your sin by the sacrifice of his blood. It's fascinating that Psalm 23 comes right after Psalm 22, which begins with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You remember those words? It's what Jesus said when he hung on the cross. Psalm 22 is what Spurgeon called the Psalm of the Cross. You can't have Jesus as your shepherd until you've had Jesus as your substitute. And friends, if you are trusting Jesus as the lamb who was sacrificed and slain for your sin, as your substitute, then you can have confidence that He will be your shepherd now and will be your host forever. But what it takes is to admit that you're a sheep. What it takes is the humility to say, I'm a dirty, stupid, hungry, wandering sheep, and I need a shepherd. Many of you have admitted that before and asked Jesus to be your shepherd Well, those of us who have done that, we need to do it every day Um, and admit and humble ourselves and admit that we are are sheep who need a shepherd. But some of you may have never submitted to Jesus and said, you know, I keep wandering, I keep wandering, I keep wandering. I keep falling over into ditches and I'm trying to satisfy myself on everything I can find. I'm trying to find rest in this Uh, relationship or in this uh, job or in this house or um, I need to be restored to my shepherd. I would invite you today to spend some time praying to him and asking him would you forgive me for all my wandering? Thank you that Isaiah 53 says that my sin was laid on you, that you are the lamb who was sacrificed for my sin. And would you be my shepherd until I get home and you'll be my host? I invite you to pray that. Father, would you uh, take this feeble attempt to understand and explain one of the greatest psalms in all of the 150 psalms. God, would you take it and would you cause us to trust you, cause us to have confidence, even in the valley of deep darkness, that you are our shepherd and you will be our host. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.